Hello everyone, thank you for listening to today's message. My name is Pastor Dwayne Life, lead pastor at the Life Point Community Church. What you're going to hear today is a message from one of our recent services. And we believe that by listening to today's message, you're going to be blessed and encouraged from the Word of God. You're going to be strengthened. And we believe that God's going to speak to you in a very fresh, new, and real way through today's message. So thanks again for listening. Be blessed and encouraged. And we love you. God bless. Any, any perfect families? Just curious. Of course not. Of course not. And that's what this deal is all about. Because here's what I, I believe to be true is that oftentimes uh, folks will come to a church and, and, and think, well, I really can't relate to those people because all those people have their stuff together. And my family really doesn't have our stuff together. And I'm going to tell you that the people that look like they have their stuff together are probably the least ones that have their stuff together. So we're going to talk about, over the next few weeks, our imperfect family, and it's going to give us an opportunity to just get real with the stuff of life in our families. And I think it's cool. In our, in our church, you know, we're not a huge church, but we have so many different family dynamics represented. We've got blended families and single-parent families and no-kid families. We call, we, we call folks with two incomes and, and no kids tinks. Two incomes, no kids, and so we got some of y'all are here, and that's cool. Uh, we got we got families that have no kids but seventeen dogs. Not mentioning any names. So we we have all of those different things represented. But here's what we're going to do over the next few weeks: is we're going to look at all of our imperfections and see if we can't find God's plan in the middle of that. Uh, and here's going to be a verse that's going to kind of carry us through the entire several weeks. It's Colossians chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. It says, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive everyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Will you pray with me? Lord, I, I love you, and I thank you for family. And God, we confess that we are full of imperfections and dysfunctions and flaws, but we believe that you have a plan and that your grace is sufficient even in the middle of those imperfections and dysfunctions and flaws. So would you just show us your plan for our home. In Jesus' name, everybody said. So let me just start with a little disclaimer. I'm not a marriage and family expert, but I have been married 33 years. And, and I raised Matthew and Mikey Leip. So that pretty much puts me in an expert place. Say it. Uh, no kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert in marriage and family issues. Uh, but I believe God is. And I think we're going to look at some stuff together. You know, I, sometimes I started series like this by saying, you know, the family dynamic has changed over the last maybe 60 years. And I guess to some extent that's true. We've gone from, you know, the cleavers to family guy, right? You know, and, but I'm, I'm of the opinion that family issues and dysfunction has been around for a very, very, very long time. There's nothing new to this generation. Would you agree with that? In fact, here's what I did is I looked in the Bible, and I thought, I'm going to find a perfect family 
in the Bible, and guess what? There isn't one. Let's look. At, let's start at the very beginning. Uh, Adam's family, all right, very first family. Okay, so it started off with blame, and it kind of morphed into murder. You know, what's the first thing Adam did when he got busted eating the fruit? He blamed his wife, and we've been doing that ever since. Come on, somebody. Uh, it, that dysfunction just kept going until Cain got jealous of his brother and wound up murdering him. That was the first family. If you were God or I were God, we'd probably go, okay, that experiment failed. How about Abraham's family? Now, Abraham is known as the father of the three largest religions in the world, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And his family was certainly not perfect. In fact, Abraham um, lied about his relationship with his wife, said it's a sister to save his own skin, right? Then decided to be a great idea to have a child with his wife's housekeeper. That went over really well. In fact, we're still paying for that in a lot of ways. And then there's that whole ordeal where Abraham almost sacrifices his son. Now, we know he was being obedient to God, but I just want you to imagine how Isaac felt strapped on this altar, Abraham with his hand up in the air with a knife. He never slept good the rest of his life. Think about that. How about Abraham's nephew, Lot? Abraham's nephew, Lot, offered his daughters to a band of rapists. And no, don't forget about this whole little incest thing that, that they had going on, too. So that was, that was kind of weird. Uh, Isaac's family. This was crazy because, how many know, it, it never works out when a parent favors one child over another. Somebody said, who's your favorite, Mike or Matthew? I'm like, it depends on the day. It depends on the day. So Isaac loved Esau. Rebecca loved Jacob. There was this huge conflict. Jacob has to leave. And now, I mean, that's sort of like having a, a dad that's in love with the Bulldogs and a woman that's in love with the Crimson Tide. It just doesn't work. Just, somebody said, uh, sent me this on Facebook this past week. He said, Athens is mentioned in the Bible. Tuscaloosa is not, so... Let that settle. How about Jacob's family? Jacob had 13 kids. He went to Mary Not Live, apparently, with four different women. Just throwing that out there. His, he played favorites with his, with his youngest son, and, and, and here's what happened. His brothers got mad, threw him into slavery. It was a bad deal. Oh, how, about, how about King David? Obviously, a man after God's own heart would... No, King David was a peeper creeper. You know, he's checking out Bathsheba, taking a bath, and, and could have stopped there, but he didn't. He's like, hey, you need to bring me her. So you, you know the story. Uh, they have a child. She gets her pregnant, kills her husband. So lust, adultery, murder. King David, what? What about Mary and Joseph? Now, now, listen, we know that that was a holy union. But if it happened today, let's just fast forward and think, if that same story happened today, these two teenagers are engaged, and she winds up pregnant and says, oh, no, I'm a virgin. 
you're going to go, you're going to go on Facebook going, did you hear what she said? No. There has been dysfunction in families for a very, very, very long time. And so let's, let's start this series by going, let, let's not play any games. Let's not pretend that we are who we aren't. Because you're not perfect, I'm not perfect, and you need to understand there is no such thing as a perfect family. There is no such thing as a perfect family. Because it's, every family's got imperfect human beings in the middle of it. And you don't do yourself any favors by comparing your family and, and, and the dysfunction and the problems and the issues inside your family with another family that you think doesn't have all that stuff. See, you're comparing your real life with somebody else's highlight reel. And I'm going to tell you not to do that. Because here's what the Bible says. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There isn't a perfect one here. In fact, the line of perfect people is pretty short. It's one. His name was Jesus, and you ain't him. And so our families because they're filled with imperfect people, are by its very nature imperfect. You know, there's no such thing, really, as these perfect Christian bookstore focus on the family families. You know, we may, we may put on that mask, but at the end of the day, everybody deals with their own stuff. Can I just... It, okay. In fact, every family in this room has got somebody in your family that's crazy. Everybody got a crazy one in your family. And listen, listen, if you're going, hmm, I don't think so, it's probably you. Right? Right, right. So what, what do we do with those imperfections and flaws and dysfunctions and fights and conflicts? And what do we, what do, we do with those things? Well, I'm going to tell you what, what the temptation is. The temptation is let's cover those up. And let's not let the world see our, our struggles. Let's not let the world see our trouble. Let's not even acknowledge it to each other. And I'm going to tell you that's not the way to do it. Here's what I believe. You might want to write this down. Our flaws and dysfunction give God an opportunity to extend his grace. Isn't it beautiful to recognize that you and I don't measure up? Listen, I would. I'd love to be the perfect husband, and I'd love to be the perfect father, and I'd love to be the perfect grandfather, but I'm not. I, I, I make mistakes. I, I drop the ball. But aren't you glad that in the midst of our failure that we have a God whose grace is sufficient? Here's what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 says, He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, I am strong. Here's the deal. We can tie, uh, hide our 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 failures and our dysfunction and our problems and the issues in our family away, or we can bring them to the surface and give God an opportunity to, to extend his grace. And I'm going to tell you that if we would do that as a family, if we'd acknowledge 
our issues and acknowledge our problems and acknowledge all of those things that make us imperfect and watch God work in the midst of those. That's what I believe God wants to do. See, I, I realize that every, every family represented here today is dealing with a different set of issues. And, and some of you may be dealing with something so drastic like you're, you can't get your husband to throw his towel in the dirty clothes. That's me. Now listen, I'm pretty good about putting my clothes in the dirty clothes hamper. I'm pretty good about that. I have one thing that I, I fail at. I always leave my towel on the bed. And I don't know why. I don't know why. Now I do it on purpose because it makes her mad. <clears throat> Not really. I, it, it's, it's almost become comical because she'll, she'll come on and, and she'll, she'll pick up the towel. And it'll be, you know, I, from 6 o'clock that morning and now it's 6 o'clock that night. And she'll pick up the towel and she says, are you through with this? <laughs> and so do you know what I say? Every guy in the room knows what you're supposed to say. Nope. Right where I left it. Left it there on purpose. I walk in there and I wipe off my brow and take it and put it in the dirty clothes. Maybe that's your, maybe that's your main malfunction. Or, or maybe you're in a situation where relationally, financially, spiritually, emotionally, you're not sure how you're going to get through today. And I want you to understand that regardless of where you're at on that spectrum, that God's grace is sufficient, that God's plan works. And when we, when, we, when we do what we talk about a lot around here and put God first in the center, at the core of our relationship, then he has a way of taking those dysfunctions and using them for our good. See, I, I, I don't like calling people out when, when I, without asking their permission, but since he was up here and he kind of told his story, it had been really easy for Trent when he was struggling with his alcohol to, to, to tuck that away and, and not to let anybody know and, and to just try to. But see, now, two years later, three years later, God's getting glory because he brought it to the surface, called me on the telephone and said, Dwayne, I know that if I don't have you on the phone, I won't do this and started pouring liquor bottles out one right after the other. And see, that stuff had to get to the surface before God could could fix it, and now gets glory for it. You understand? We're only as sick as our secrets. And if you're trying to paint this picture-perfect picture of your family around here or in public or on your job or in your school and then going home to hell, it doesn't work. It's not going to work. You can't sustain that kind of life. But here's what you can do. You can admit, yes, we got issues, but we believe that God's grace is sufficient. Find help and watch God work. That's the way it works. So I, I, I don't want to insult you if you're, if you're one of those folks that we just don't know how we're going to get through tomorrow. I, I do want you to hear this, that regardless of the intensity of your particular situation, it doesn't extend beyond the reach of God's plan and provision. In other words, no matter how bad your stuff is, it's not too big for God. No matter how bleak it looks in your home, it's not too bleak for God. In fact, I love this passage of Scripture. Isaiah 59 says, Listen, the Lord's arm is not too short, is not too weak to, ser- to save you, nor is ear too deaf to hear you call. Mm-hmm. See, it's, it's amazing how God can take dysfunction and turn it for good. 
this story I started to tell you about Isaac's son, uh, Joseph, that was uh, in cast into captivity. It, it looked pretty bleak. His brothers hated him, sold him into slavery. He, he gets to his new employer's house. He's apparently a pretty good-looking dude because his new employer's wife tries to, you know, get busy with him. And he was a man of integrity, so he runs out. She lies, has him sent to prison, so he's in prison. He is there for a few years and starts interpreting dreams. And, and, and when he thinks he's going to get out, some people had promised him that they would remember him, forgets all about him. Long story, here's how it ends up. God exalts him to a position to where he now saves an entire nation from starvation. So you tell me, was, was God in the middle of that plan? Even in, the, even in the painful parts, even in the prison part, was God in the middle of that? Even when he was falsely accused, was, was God in the, even when his brothers hated him, was God in the middle of that? Of course he was. And so it's, it's hard to see when you're in the middle of it. When you're in the middle of the depression or the disease or the, uh, or the pending divorce or the lie or the adultery, it's in the, in the middle of all that where God may be working all things out together for your good. It's hard to see. So here's what I want us to land on today. This one particular thought. And that's the idea of forgiveness. Is, is it easy to forgive when you've been wronged? Write this down. I believe that the forgiveness of Christ becomes evident when we see forgiveness at work in our own families. I, I love to tell this story, and you've probably heard it before, but it, it just works. So I, I need you to hear this story. It's my favorite forgiveness story. And it involves my son Mikey. We were at uh, we were back to school shopping one particular year, and he was probably seven. And so we we were at Walmart. We were at Walmart. Back to school shopping. It's the third circle of hell. It's awful. You know you got. You got a bunch of little rugrats running around wanting the, you know, the the one Scooby-Doo trapper keeper that's left. And just, and it's it's chaos. It's chaos. And, and the boys are trying to pick out their stuff, and Donna's trying to help them, and I'm just like getting me out of here. I'm a little bit, little bit, little bit claustrophobic. It, please tell me there's somebody else that's like, I just don't like people up in my space. One or two, yes. And, and there was... There was all sorts of people up in my space, and there was, like, kids down here, and I was like, all right. I'm, And so Mikey was upset about something that they didn't have. They probably didn't have the right colored camouflage that he wanted for his folders or something. I don't know. And I crawled him. I did. He did nothing wrong. And I just crawled him right in the middle of Walmart. And I... I, I, I got no excuse for it. I'm just telling you how it was. I, 
I snapped at him, talked so harshly to him. And then in a minute and a half, I felt about that tall. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You feel this tall. And so I, I, I pulled him off to the side, and I said, uh, Mike, I, I shouldn't have done that, buddy. Um, that wasn't your fault. That was all me, and I need you to forgive me, and I'll never forget these words. Now, he was like seven, maybe, and I'll never forget these words. How, parents in the room, how many know that your kids probably teach you a lot more than you teach them? I'll never forget these words because these words help me understand what the forgiveness of God looked like. I said, son, I, I shouldn't have done that, and I need you to forgive me. And I said, will, will you forgive me? And he said, of course, Dad. Why wouldn't I? Can I tell you that every time I go to my father in repentance, God, will you forgive me? You know what words I hear? Of course, son. Why wouldn't I? See, I'm, I'm telling you that as you and I offer this kind of forgiveness to our family, to our parents, to our children, to our extended family, the miracle of God is at work in our lives. Here's what Jesus said. Peter came to him and asked him, this is Matthew chapter 18, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? And Jesus said, no, not seven times. Seventy times seven. And maybe you're here and you say, I'm tired of forgiving. I'm tired of being the one to offer forgiveness. Maybe I would challenge you with this thought. What, what, if, what if offering forgiveness one more time is the catalyst to healing and health and wholeness? What if offering forgiveness one more time is that thing that will move your family into a place of blessing? See, I, I, I want to show you this video. And uh, I started watching, I, I love stand-up comedy. Anybody love stand-up comedy? Just, okay. But it's, it's hard to watch stand-up comedy because it's filled with a lot of trash sometimes, right? So I started watching this Christian comedian literally 20 years ago. He was, he was uh, at a convention I went to, and so I, I started watching him. The ones I found on YouTube, I was just, I, I listened to him all the time. And I stumbled across his testimony because um, I had never heard it. And it, it's a story of how he found Christ and what the catalyst was uh, w with him finding Christ. So I'd, I'd like you to watch the screen and, and listen. This guy's name is Jeff Allen. Uh, years ago, I crawled into Alcoholics Anonymous. I literally crawled into Alcoholics Anonymous. And I just wanted to stop drinking. And, and uh, I... And, my father, I remember I was a couple years into that journey uh, of Alcoholics Anonymous, and my father asked me, because he wrestled with alcohol his entire life, and, and um, he said, what was the catalyst that got you to stop drinking? Because something profound always happens for an addict to give up uh, using. And I looked at my father and said, I beat my six-month-old son in a crib. And uh, I couldn't think of anything as a man that would shame me more than that. 
Uh, there's a great saying I heard a pastor say once, every man needs to get downwind from himself. And that night, I, as drunk as I was and as coked up as I was, I remember getting downwind and I saw my son as he was walking away. My wife had gotten him away from me and, and she was walking down the hall and his head was over her shoulders and her back was to me. And as I walked towards him, I got under the light in the halls and my son, six months old, got a look at me and his eyes filled with fear. He got really large. And I realized that I put that fear in that innocent child's life. And he sat on the bed with my wife and my wife fed him. He got beat because he was hungry. Nothing as a man could have shamed me more than that. And I came into my wife and I said to her, if you don't take me to Alcoholics Anonymous, because I had gone five years earlier and, and I only stayed a few months and then I left. And I said, if you don't take me, I won't go. And if I don't go, we won't be married. I didn't know how I knew that. I believe that God speaks to us in our worst moments. I really believe that now in hindsight. I look back on that 19 years ago and I believe God was right there in my house. As broken and as beat up as that house was, he was there. She takes me to Alcoholics Anonymous. They say to me, you've got to pray. And I said, to what? And they said, find something in this universe that's larger than you. The world doesn't revolve around you. Alcoholism is a very self-centered disease. Only a self-centered, arrogant person would destroy themselves and the people around them willy-nilly. So they knew that. They said, get on your knees and pray. And I said, to what? And they, and they go, find something, Jeff. Just find something. And I couldn't get my head around that. Honestly, folks, I tried. I could not get my head around the whole concept of me making up an entity that was larger than me because I, the only thing that exceeded my arrogance was my ignorance. So I would go to these meetings and I would stand there and I'd raise my hand and I'd share as honesty. That's what I was told. If you're honest, you'll get well. So I would share and I would raise my hand and I would tell these people to their face, I hate all of you people. I hate the fact that I'm here. I can't stand the fact that I'm a drunk. I don't want to be here. I hate you. I hate everything. I can't stand life. I hate it. And they would say, well, keep coming back. <laughs> I tell you, I, I, I believe it's the first place I saw the face of God because I tried to get fired from Alcoholics Anonymous. I really did. And there came a point, I don't know what point it was, that I noticed every time I talked to her, she had her back to me. And I walked over to her one night and I grabbed her by the shoulders and I tried to turn her around and she said, no, please. And I said, what is the problem? She goes, I, I can't, Jeff. And I go, you can't look at me? And she says, no. How do you get there? How do two people who walk down an aisle, now 10 years had gone by, you can't look at me? And she says, all I see is all the stuff, all the stuff that we talked about that was going to be and it's not going to be. And she says, it's just, I can't do it anymore. Let's just cut it. Please fill those papers out and let's just cut it. And I got on my knees and all I said was, Jesus, I can't do it anymore. I can't. I can't tell a joke. I can't keep a marriage together. I, I can't keep a friendship together. I can't keep my money in the bank. I can't, I can't do anything in this life. I am yours. Nowhere in the Bible does it ever say when you give your life to Christ that the suffering stops. <laughs> but when you get dragged through the mud with Christ, eventually when you get out of the mud, you stand up and you're clean. And you go, wow, there was a reason I went through all that. And uh, I don't look back on anything I went through. I wouldn't go through it again. If God sat me down 20 years ago and said, oh, yeah. 
said, this is what I'm going to put you through, okay? You're going to be ready? a drug addict, an alcoholic. You're going to pound on your kid. And by the way, so you know this, this is God's healing. Six or seven years ago when I started with Bill Gaither, I was at his family fest in, in, in Gatlinburg, oh, yeah. and I shared that story about beating Ryan in the crib. Ryan was in the room. He was 12 years old at the time, and when I got off the stage, he walked over to me, and he said, Daddy, was I that boy you beat? And I said, Son, yes, you were. I said, Daddy was a different man then. He put his arms around me, and he said, I forgive you, Daddy. I didn't even know I needed the forgiveness. You know, the Bible tells me I was forgiven. But to have it from your son, to have it from your son, to put his arms around you and say, I forgive you, how many homes would be healed if fathers and sons could just put their arms around each other and go, I forgive you. That's all, I forgive you. And then they start to say something, don't say anything. It's forgotten. What a blessing and what a gift. We don't profess to have seven ways to, to heal your marriage. We really don't. We share this story because there is no logical, earthly reason why we're still married and why we're together. But we almost threw it all away 10 years ago. My sons are 23 and 19. That means they were 13 and 9 when we almost threw it away. And I think, I think about this Christmas coming up. My boy's home from Iraq. He's at the house right now. He's watching our dogs. And every time he sees me, he throws those big meat hooks of his around me. And he goes, I love you, Pops. That's what's valuable. I showed you that video for one reason. I wanted you to see that one, that one line. I, I didn't even know I needed forgiveness. I didn't even know I needed that. I, I want you to hear me when I say this. Unforgiveness is a cancer to a family relationship. We carry that around. It becomes insurmountable. It becomes toxic in our, in our soul. Ephesians 4, chapter, chapter 4, verse 31 says, Get rid of all bitterness, all rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. What if we just followed that one verse? Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. I'm sure that uh, in this room that there are those who would say, um, in my family, there's someone I need to offer forgiveness to. Or you may say, in my family, there's someone I need to seek forgiveness from. Here's what I would challenge you to do. Uh, do it. Today. T today. Don't carry it another day. Identify that person that you need to seek forgiveness from or need to offer forgiveness to and handle it. You just don't know. So before we leave, here's what I'm going to give you four things, four ways to live with an imperfect family. This I am an expert at. 
Number one, recognize that the responsibility to be the agent of grace may rest on your shoulders. Maybe you feel this way. I'm always the one that tries to fix it. I'm always the one that apologizes. I'm always the one that tries to make peace. I'm always the one to try to put the mess back together. And I'm going to tell you, don't get tired of that. God may be calling you to be the agent of grace in a difficult situation. Maybe you were wronged and it's still falling on your shoulders to be the agent of grace. Let the grace of God work through you. Because here's the worst thing we can do. Nope, I'm not doing it. I'm not apologizing. I'm not seeking forgiveness. I'm, I'm not going to try to fix it. I'm not going to try to make it better. We have a rule in our house, and it's a steadfast rule because I don't sleep if things ain't right. We don't, nobody in the house sleeps until it gets fixed. And, and listen, that sounds silly, but you sure do sleep a lot better. It may not happen until 3 in the morning. But in every situation, listen, somebody has to be the agent of grace. Somebody has to be the one that says, I'm going to let God work through me to heal this relationship. Some, I, I'm going to let God work through me to, to fix this wrong. And listen, if nobody's willing to do that, it doesn't get fixed. So here's what I would challenge you to do. Volunteer. God, if I'll swallow my stinking pride how many of you just like to win? You just want to win the argument. I, I, I just, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm just going to confess. I'm going to put my imperfections out here. Sometimes I just want everybody to acknowledge that Dwayne, Dad, Pop, Pop, whoever was right. I want everybody to acknowledge that, and then everybody gets along just fine from that point forward. Isn't that a sorry attitude? See, what I, even when I'm wrong, I know that God's going to call me to be the agent of grace. Even when I'm right, God's going to call me to be an agent of grace. That's the first thing. Number two, celebrate God's grace instead of hiding our imperfections. It took, it took a lot for, for Trent to stand up here and celebrate his addiction that God has healed. It took a lot. We're only as sick as our secrets. Number three. Acknowledge God's hand on the difficult days. E even in the midst of this conflict, even in the midst of this trial, even in the midst of this difficult situation that we're walking through, could God be at work? Or, here's a great question. You, might, you don't have a spot for this, but you might want to write it down. In the middle of this stuff, ask this question. God, what are you trying to teach me? God, what are you trying to teach me? And then lastly, walk the line of forgiveness. Let me tell you why I wrote it that way. By walking the line of forgiveness, we need to recognize that on any given day, we may find ourselves on either side of that line. In, in other words, today, I may be on the side of the line that seeks someone to come to me for forgiveness. I may be on the side of the line where somebody is looking to me for forgiveness. But before I get too crazy on that side of the line, I need to realize that tomorrow I'm likely going to need to look to someone else for forgiveness. Does that make sense? Be before we, we get so uh, 
But before we, we just lavish in our, uh, in someone else having to come to us for forgiveness, realize that you're likely going to need it yourself. What you give away today, you may need tomorrow. Maybe that's the way to say it. When you give away forgiveness today, you're probably going to need it tomorrow. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you with this one last passage of Scripture. People ask us from time to time, especially um, especially when we, we're talking with married couples or couples that are getting ready to get married. People ask us from time to time, well, what, what was, what's, how have you done it for 33 years? You know, what's, what's the magic potion? What's the, what's the secret of being married 33 years and still like each other? And, and listen, I'm going to, I need to tell you this. I'm, we don't have a perfect marriage, but she's absolutely my best friend. I would rather be with her than anybody on this planet. We, we, have, we, we have fun together. We do life together. And there's one reason why we are able to celebrate that today. And it's not because I'm a great husband. We made a choice before the boys were ever born. We made a choice early on in our marriage to make sure that we put Christ in the center of our home. And, and, and above any skill that we've learned over the last 33 years, above any marriage class or book that we've ever read or taken or taught, The catalyst for us not just staying married for 33 years, but, but living and in in, in thriving for 33 years. And oh, by the way, listen, don't, don't look at Dwayne and Donna and think, well, they don't understand because they've never had, you have no idea some of the, yes, I was trying to think of another word. You have no idea some of the stuff that we walked through. You have no idea some of the stuff that God had to heal. You have no idea some of the stuff that God saved us from. You have no idea some of the trials and turmoil that we've walked through as a married couple. And I'm going to tell you the only reason, the only reason we're standing before you today, married, happy, and sane, is because we made a choice to put Christ at the center of our marriage. Joshua 24, 15 says it this way. Choose today whom you'll serve. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. So I'm going to challenge you, in the midst of your imperfections, make this vow. I don't, regardless of what your family dynamic looks like. See, maybe you're, maybe you're married, divorced, single, single again, single again. I want to get married, single again. I never want to see another, yeah, wherever you're at. As for me and my house, regardless of what that dynamic looks like, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Donna, come and play. Hey, I, I hope, I hope that, uh, I hope that word forgiveness resonates with you today. I, I hope that over the next little while, that if the Holy Spirit is prompted your heart that you need to seek or offer forgiveness to somebody in your family that you'll do that and that you'll do it quickly and that you'll do it sincerely by the way don't don't just do it because pastor Dwayne said do it 
Do it because you, you understand that the key to your forgiveness, the key to your healing, the key to your wholeness, the key to you uh, moving on in your life is offering or seeking that forgiveness. And it, you're not going to let it become a cancer in your, in your life, in your relationship, in your family. So I want you to bow your heads with me. See, I, I think there's a couple different kinds of folks here today. Um, if you're here and you say, Dwayne, um, I, I need God to do work in my family. Um, here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you. So I just want you, if, if you say, Dwayne, I, I want God to do work in my family, just put your hand in the air. A amen. Me too. Me too. If you're here and you say, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand here, because you might be sitting beside the person that you need to offer forgiveness to or seek forgiveness from. But if that's you, if that resonated with you this morning and, and you need to offer and seek forgiveness, I, I challenge you to pray this morning for the courage, the wisdom to do that and to do it quickly. Man, I, I just got to be honest with you this morning. My heart is heavy because I recognize that if the enemy can, can destroy families, if the enemy can bring discouragement and loneliness, and listen, not, not even destroy families, but just, just cause us to live in a way that we're just existing and not thriving. And I don't believe that's what God wants for you. I believe God wants you to, to thrive. I believe he wants you to have joy unspeakable and full of glory. I believe God wants you to have a full, rich, abundant life. I'm going to tell you that's only going to be possible when you place Christ at the center of your home. I don't care what book you read. I don't care what class you go to. I don't care what principle you adhere to until Christ is at the center of your home. That's the only way you're going to know. That's the only way that you're going to live that full, rich, abundant life. And so if you're here today and you say, Dwayne, we need Christ at the center of our home, I'm going to challenge you today to make that choice, to make that commitment. He can't be the center of your home until he's at the center of your heart, by the way. So I would challenge you today to make Christ the center of your heart so he can be the center of your home as we pray today. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for every family. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you that we are indeed imperfect families because in our imperfection, in our flaws, your grace is sufficient and you're enough. So God, I pray for every family that as we place you at the center of our home, as we place you at the center of our life, as we pl place you in the center of our family, God, that your grace would surround our homes. God, that the, the peace that comes with the forgiveness that we receive from you for our sin and the forgiveness that we offer to those around us and that we seek to those that we've harmed, God, there's freedom in that forgiveness. Thank you for that freedom. God, I pray for every family that's struggling this morning. God, I, I just sense in my spirit that folks walked in here struggling relationally, financially, emotionally, and I, I just pray as, as humbly as I know how that the Holy Spirit does the work that only He can do in the hearts and lives of families today. And that God, more than anything else, you would just let them know 
that even though they may not see it with their eyes, that you're at work on their behalf. That even though they may not see it with, uh, with their eyes, that you're working hard on their behalf. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for who you are. Bless every family in Jesus' name.